All right, let's do this. Thank you for listening. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to go with this as the intro. So here we go. This one is called Reclaiming Christianity. And man, I feel excited and nervous for this episode at the same time. Now, excuse me, part of the reason for this is because this is a... I mean, this is a large task. This is going to try to do something really profound that people have been trying to do for a long time. Namely, try to, my goodness, reclaim what Christianity can be. And of course, you can't do this in just one episode. But I've been having conversations with people. And I know of individuals who say that they have a hard time identifying as a part of the Christian path. And I know of some people that have even completely left it. I know people that used to work at churches and they can't, ah, they just can't get back into it. At least the way that they see it happening around them. So all this goes to say, this episode is called Reclaiming Christianity. And if you were to look back at past episodes, uh, previous episodes have the title Reclaiming Blank. So go back and listen to some of them as well. But my name is John and I was trained as a pastor and this is one of the ways in which I am trying to give something good back. So before we get started, I want to say one quick thing. Uh, I have the ability to look up analytics and see who's listening or at least what cities are listening. And there has been an uptick of people listening to this in Los Angeles. So if that's you, thank you. Philadelphia, which is where I'm coming from, sure. San Jose, Dallas, Texas, Atlanta, Georgia, Denver, Chicago. I don't know if it's really just one family that told all of its cousins to listen to this. But regardless, I'm incredibly appreciative that anyone would listen. That being said, without further ado, let's jump right in. This is Reclaiming Christianity. This one, uh, you could say I had to write out my notes, and maybe I'll take a picture of the notes and post the picture of this episode as well, but I, I think I had to come around to define it for myself. What is this whole thing that we call the Jesus movement? What is this whole thing that has been in the world for almost 2,000 years? What is all of this? And uh, yes, some people can still use the word Christianity, but some people have a hard time even saying that. So sometimes a Jesus path is good, and maybe you're Protestant or Catholic or you're post-Christian or you're atheist and you just listen because you somehow get something good out of this. Uh, this is a tricky thing because anytime a religion gets enough of a fervent following, it's prone to being misused and it's prone to being misunderstood. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, I've also been reading a number of books recently that have been challenging my own perspective of what this Jesus path is all about. But you know what? 
it's so good because I, I'm resonating with all of it so, so deeply. Now, you may have felt this. Perhaps there's been like an itch in, in like part of your soul or like there, there's been something telling you that some perspectives of Jesus have become, let's say, monolithic or, or myopic. That would be they're, they're like fixed and they're big and they only appreciate one perspective. Uh, and yeah, maybe it has become, at least in Western civilization, it has become myopic on one side, but on the other side, it's also gone somewhat off the rails. And I'm talking about conservative or liberal. There's fanaticism on both sides because... On either side, you can be someone who ignores questions and doubts. And when you ignore questions or doubts, that is fanaticism. Now, part of the reason why maybe Christianity has become cheapened or maybe misunderstood is uh, because of an Einstein quote that says, if you can't take something brilliant and put it simply, then you, de- you haven't understood it. And probably for good motivations, there have been people that have taken these beautiful and elaborate statements that come out of the Jesus tradition and hmm, boiled them down into small bite-sized quotes that can fit onto bumper stickers. Now, that's understandable, sure. But the problem is that these boiled-down statements are just the starting point, not the finish line. And a lot of people latched on to some of what I would say are okay statements, but maybe they're better as starting points rather than finishing lines. Maybe that means something to you. Let's go a different route then. In what ways have you noticed Christianity or this thing that we call Christianity? In what ways has it lost the plot? In which ways has it lost what it's really, what really makes it beautiful? Well, I would say, and and this is for myself, I would say, you know that a, a particular view of Jesus or a life that claims to have its inspiration from Jesus, it's lost the plot when it becomes a means of justifying agendas. When when your religion can be tweaked in such a way that it just affirms every part of your life without ever having to call into question anything, then you've taken something really beautiful and you've made it into something that justifies and fortifies you in your own way of life. And so when it affirms more than challenges, I'm, I'm led to question. Like, listen, I don't know about you, but the Jesus that I read in the New Testament scriptures seems to be throwing verbal grenades all over that just blow frameworks up and just catch people off guard and then 
he doesn't do what people expect that he should do, and it, that throws people off. Or you can, here's another way, you know that a particular view of Jesus, a particular interpretation of Christianity has lost the plot when it puts too much hope into the political sphere rather than in the sphere of personal uh, transformation. I mean, when you put all of your faith in the government rather than in the personal life-changing turnaround of the individual, then you've put your faith in government rather than something else. Now, why is this important? Because (laughs) politics and government are made up of people. And if you go back and listen to uh, Reclaiming Teshuva and Reclaiming Metanoeo, you'll know you can't really quite claim that a government or that a political system should repent. But you can call the individuals in that organization to repent, to teshuva, to metanao. Like, that's something else. And so Christianity, when it becomes about the tribe rather than the transformation of the person, it's, that's another way it's lost the plot. Or it's lost the plot when uh, it allows us to stand separate and superior to other people. When, when you use religion in such a way that you can keep other people at an arm distance and say, no, I'm not like that person over there. It's like, whoa, 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 chill out. You actually are very much similar, even to the person that you hate. Because chances are you hate them because they are just projecting or are a reflection of the part in you that you hate. Ugh. Now, one last thing. You know when someone's interpretation of Christianity or the Jesus path or whatever you want to call this, you know it's lost the plot when in any way it is used to diminish the life in or of someone else. When Jesus is talked about in such a way that it makes someone else's life dimmer, when it when it harps down on someone else, when it doesn't bring people to more life, but rather, rather seems to take life from them. We'll come back to that. The very end of this episode, we're going to talk about it. So those are just a few ways that you know Maybe your understanding of the Jesus path or someone else's understanding of the Jesus path has lost the plot. Now, for me, uh, I was having a conversation on Sunday with a a good guy. And he and I were talking about, uh, he plays music and he's (laughs) deeply philosophical. If Colin listens to this, you're a good dude. Now, Colin and I were having a conversation about what images summarize Christianity for us. And it kind of came around to the statement of, I personally, sometimes when I hear people talk about the the Christ path, it's almost like the first image that comes to my mind is a box or sometimes a jail cell or, or like a 
I don't know, a box is a good enough analogy. But I don't think that's it. Because if you were to ask me what images come to my mind when I think about the Jesus path and reclaiming the best of Christianity, I think of a way, like, like a, a pathway between the dunes, you know, at the beach. Or uh, I'm thinking of a path that goes up and towards a mountain and around the mountain beyond into the distance. It's a path or... When I think of images that encapsulate Christianity for me, it's a river or a tree with deep roots that stretch wide. You see, boxes are meant to hold things together and keep things in and other things out. But these other images, it's a way, it's a path, it's a river, it's a tree. These are things that are going somewhere. These are things that are, these are moving. These are things that, that are alive and they're stretching deep and they, they've got roots that take nutrients from these far perspectives that you maybe didn't know were there, like roots underneath a tree. But it's alive. Because if you ask me, uh, an authentic Christ path is one that throws us into complexity, not nice little boxes. It rather throws us into mystery and then find that as we start to engage these complex issues of life, when we start to engage mystery or awe or wonder, shout out to Abraham Joshua Heschel, we find that there's like a second simplicity on the other side of all the mystery, where things are simple but beautiful again. Not only that, but an authentic life that takes its cues and inspiration from the person of Jesus, it's, it, it connects your life together, and then it, it changes it. it. It isn't a part of your life. Rather, it takes all the parts of your life and then like a lasso or a, a fishing net. It, it catches all of them and brings it together in the one net. And then everything's changed because everything just got brought together under the name of this one odd, eccentric, itinerant rabbi named Jesus. In larger words, an authentic Jesus path is integrated and it's transformational. It connects your life all the parts of it, all together. Nothing is left out. Everything has a part to play. And I, this is a side comment, maybe notes for another episode, but some people think that there's spirituality, and then there's economics, and then there's politics, and then there's finances, and then there's uh, environment, and then there's <laughs> farming, and then there's reading, and then there's science, and art, and everything else. No. How you do your economics is spirituality. How you do politics is your spirituality. How you do art, how you do music, how you do farming, all of these things, they're not separate from an authentic and vibrant spiritual life. Rather, all these things 
are influenced by your spiritual path and how it influences, how it's integrated, how it draws all things together in the same net. Now we're getting somewhere, right? Lastly, uh, at least in this little subsection, an authentic Jesus path is it's embodied and it wisens you up. So that would mean it is, it's not escapism. An authentic Jesus path doesn't help you just leave the troubles of this world. I'm sorry, it doesn't. Life is, it, life just doesn't work that way. And it's so any form of a Jesus path that helps you escape rather than to look at the thing straight in the eyes, that's not real. Not only that, but an authentic Jesus path has got a lot to do with how you live your physical life. The whole thing about the incarnation is that spiritual and physical as a dualism is false. There might be these two dynamics of life, physical and spiritual, but they were brought together in the person of Jesus, and so they can be brought together in ours as well. And then it wisens us up. Christianity is is far more than just uh, teaching you what to say or what to believe, but actually inviting you into conversations about things. For instance, if you were to ask me, <laughs> I'm gonna man, I'm gonna use that phrase a bunch, I guess. Christianity is it might be better understood as a rabbinic mysticism, not a Greek systematization of thought. I'm going to break that down. It's rabbinic, meaning it's it's got parables and it's conversational. All good Jesus talk is best when it's done in conversation with other disciplines of life. And a really good approach towards having a Jesus path is one that invites more conversation. It doesn't shut conversation down. And it's mysticism because it's very much about not just deep seeing, like looking at your world with deep eyes and and looking and penetrating your glaze at, at things, but it's a matter of having deep living. You're deeply present. In all of your life, in all of your life, you're integrated and you're bringing things together and you're inviting conversations and you're not looking to, to shut conversations down. You're looking to open them up even more. And that sounds so much better to me than to think that Christianity is meant to be a, a whole system or framework, a, a philosophy because it's far more beautiful than just a philosophy. This is more than just sitting together and articulating, is reality like this or is reality like that? It's like, no, this is about, this is about wisdom. This is about life. This is about the good life. This is beyond any, any worldview that can be put into a spreadsheet. In fact, Christianity maybe could never fit into a spreadsheet because it was always supposed to be like a piece of Van Gogh art. Or maybe it's 
Maybe it's not supposed to be a formula. Maybe it's supposed to be a requiem from Mozart. Ah. You see, Christianity is supposed to be, it's supposed to be an invitation into all of the questions of life because the good life is wrapped up in asking the deepest and the most meaningful, the most piercing questions. And again, that goes back to the sense that maybe a real profound and transformative Christianity is somehow rabbinic. It's, it's like a traveling, itinerant rabbi from the first century, huh? I think a real, authentic Christian path, it also leads us to confront ourselves before we confront other people. That it, it really does have this strong emphasis on humility, that you are 10 times, 100 times more interested in accusing yourself than accusing other people. Because the world isn't going to be changed by us accusing other people. The world is going to be changed by us accusing ourselves and encouraging everyone else to accuse themselves of the things that they need to change to repent, to turn around from, to leave behind, to think differently about. It's in this sense, uh, uh, Christianity is actually very much about becoming more real, not less. And, and some people have hijacked it, certainly. Some people have taken the Jesus movement and found a way to use the vocabulary of the faith in such a way that they can even disguise their own issues from even themselves. Christianity is supposed to make us more real, to help us take off those masks and to accuse ourselves so that we can actually become who we're supposed to be. Not only that, but I think in no sense whatsoever is Christianity supposed to be an escape, but, but maybe it's supposed to be an execution. It's supposed to be an execution of this selfish ego. Someday we should do an episode on what does it mean to pick up your cross daily and follow him. It might have something to do that you take all of your selfish ambitions, all the ways that maybe you or I try to posture and make ourselves more grand or more self-important than we really are and just crucify and bury that part of us. Not because doing good things in the world or, or even impressive things is bad, but to do those things from a posture of selfishness and trying to prove yourself to your fellow man that posture is toxic and it almost doesn't matter what you do in the world if you had the posture of doing it for the wrong reasons. In this sense, um, Christianity at its best, when it is at its best, when it's most mature, it decenters us. It knocks us off of our rhythm because it's trying to tell us that our rhythm is out of whack, or uh, 
it, it decenters us for the sake of recentering us. It, it's almost as though Christianity is supposed to be an earthquake, but it's supposed to be an earthquake on the soul level. It's supposed to be an earthquake on the heart level, but in, in the best way, because that violent shakeup is maybe exactly what is needed to crumble down some things so that new things can be built up again. Man, <laughs> this is all really good. Uh, two more things. Christianity, when it's at its best, um, <clears throat> and this might get me in trouble, <laughs> I don't think Christianity at its most mature and most impressive and its teleological end, I, I don't, I don't know if it's really supposed to get more people sitting in churches. I, I don't think that's the end goal. What I do think is the end goal <laughs> is a new creation. Or it's, it's, a, it's a new world. The end goal of Christianity is supposed to be an entire universe where the human and the divine live together in harmony. That the shalom, the good peace, the harmony that was always supposed to be has been achieved in some capacity. Christianity is very much about giving birth to a new world, to a new way of being human. In fact, it's... it's New, but it's also not new. It's the ancient and most beautiful way of being human that always should have been from the start. Christianity is at its best. It's supposed to help usher in the kind of universe that, like I said, always should have been. So the end goal isn't really to sit in the pew. The end goal isn't to sit and do endless book studies. No, this thing's about a whole new world where justice and peace and love are the givens of life, where people are encouraged to thrive, where we do more self-accusing than we do accusing of other people. The most beautiful kind of life would be one that that doesn't shut down conversations, but invites other people into some of the most meaningful conversations of life. And in fact, will even invite the next generation into those same questions. It's in this way, uh, Christians, they're supposed to be like Jesus. <laughs> Duh, right? They're supposed to be concerned with living well. They're supposed to be concerned with, with healing the lame and, and setting the oppressed free and raising the dead back to life again. These, these might be more than just symbolisms. These might be more than just metaphor. Uh, Jesus voluntarily picked up pain and suffering because he knew that on the other side of it, he was going to help birth a new creation. And that's something that you and I are both invited into. Not to voluntarily pick up pain or suffering just for the sake of doing it. No, 
you and I and everyone else are invited to pick up pain and suffering voluntarily to help bring in the world that always should have been. Oh, right? Isn't that good? That's real good. Good golly. Right, Liz? (laughs) I just got a text from Liz not too long ago, and she made fun of me for saying good golly in the last episode. So she's probably laughing to this right now. So shout out to you, Liz. Now, last comments. Here we go. This one's all about reclaiming Christianity, and perhaps it's just a rant. And maybe this is going to have to be part one of 14 parts. I have no idea. But I want to bring it back around to one word that really uh, has, has troubled me, but also has blown my understanding of what this Jesus movement is really all about. It's blown it wide open. You ready? The word is parasos. And if you were to look at John chapter 10, the word is parason. Excuse me. And it's the word that is often translated as eternal life. Okay, sure. Yeah, you can translate it as eternal life, but that that falls short. And uh, in John 10.10, Jesus is self-identifying as a shepherd. Now, there's something profound going on there. He calls himself the good shepherd, which is a a call back to Ezekiel 34, where it says, I, the Lord, (laughs) this is a paraphrase, am disgusted and frustrated with your shepherds that come to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's talking about all the religious elite, uh, the book of Ezekiel is. God is speaking to and through Ezekiel saying, I am so disappointed by your religious leaders. I can't believe how they are not taking care of you like a good shepherd should. And then he says in Ezekiel, one day I'm going to come and be the good shepherd that always should have been. So in John chapter 10, where Jesus starts using that that phrase, the good shepherd, everyone who's listening, their ears should have just perked up and said, oh my gosh, he's, he's calling out Ezekiel. He just used the phrase good shepherd. I think that means something. Remember Ezekiel 34, when the Lord said he was disappointed in all the religious leaders and he said that he's going to come himself. Well, Jesus is doing something real profound there. And so when Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now that phrase, and have it to the full, and all of this verse, it's using the word parason or parasos. Parasos, some some people have translated it as eternal life, that Jesus came to give eternal life. Sure, but that's missing the point. Because peri, meaning like around or even beyond, um, it means abundant. It's not eternal life, it's abundant life. It's more, it's supposed to be greater than. It's beyond the boundaries. 
It's exceeding beyond the limits of life. It is going beyond what's anticipated. It's exceeding expectations. It's, I like this phrase, it's going past the expected limit. This whole thing is always about life. The Jesus path is always going to be about how can we make a life that exceeds beyond the boundaries happen. I don't even like this one translation that I have right in front of me. I forget what it is, but it says, uh, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It's not to the full. It's beyond the full. It's overflowing. It's supposed to be <laughs> back to the river. I said at the beginning, you can't fit a river in a cup. Maybe what it means to reclaim Christianity is to stop thinking that it's supposed to justify us in all of our lives. Maybe it's supposed to call us into question because it's only by calling into question how we do our lives that then we might find that we are being gifted an abundant life that exceeds beyond the limits that goes beyond our expectations of how beautiful and how grand and how alive it really is. Any form of Christianity that diminishes life rather than grants people a life that exceeds beyond their limits. (laughs) Oh, that's not really Christianity. So let's just stop calling it that. One of the most unfortunate things is when people take something beautiful and they make it ugly. Unfortunately, every single one of us who have been inspired or take our cues in some capacity from the person life work of Jesus, we're going to hurt this Jesus's reputation. And I think we all have to say that with some honest amount of humility. We're all hurting the reputation of Jesus, but Jesus doesn't seem to care because he's always going to be looking for the people that have less life and try to invite them into a way, into a path, into the river. It's trying, uh, Jesus is trying to invite people to realize that life can have deeper and wider reaching roots than we realize. Jesus is always inviting people into deeper conversations, into the most meaningful questions of life that maybe can't be answered. But it's always better to at least ask the question than to avoid the question because these questions are the questions that make us, that liberate us, that inspire us. Yeah, we're probably going to have to do a part two. (laughs) Let's just finish with a benediction. I don't know what else to say right now. May you, the listener, come to find for yourself what 
this Jesus path looks like for you. May you be haunted by all the right questions in a good way. May you be led to ask people what they mean when they say they follow the same Christ. And may you, if you can't say that you are a Christian, that's fine. But maybe it would be a good thing for you to learn how to say that you are on a path. And this path is one that leads to Parason. That this this is a path where you may find the life that exceeds beyond the li- the limits. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Man, I'm kind of jazzed about this episode, even though I feel like it's been all over. So this has been uh, Reclaiming Christianity. If you liked it, look this up. Look me up on Patreon. If you liked it, maybe send me a text of something that stood out to you. But may you come to find that you have the parasos, the abundant life already starting to bubble up inside of you. And may you follow the path of this itinerant rabbi Jesus in whatever direction he takes you. But may you do it with grace and grit and abundant amount of gratitude. (laughs) Oh, man. May grace and peace be with you.